Ooh, it's very hot here. <laughs> uh, it's too hot today. Oh, it's, uh... it's hot today. Yeah. Better than Mama, this is attempt number 195 of the Insert Credit Experiment, an ongoing endeavor to hold at least one intelligible discussion about video games. We'll get there someday. Every week, we assemble a panel of video game experts to achieve this goal over a series of topics afforded no more than six minutes under penalty of a horrible buzzer. I'm Alex Jaffe, and one of my probably unfair character design peeves is when you change the armor or accessories on a character, but their model doesn't change to reflect that. Oh, I'm Brandon Sheffield. Let's see, character creation peeves. I've been playing the Yakuza games for the last two, three years now, just playing the Yakuza whenever I can. And there's the hostess mode, and it bugs me when a game will be updated, but then they'll keep the fashion in like 2006. You know, you could put some new dresses on there. I mean, the, the stuff that they got in those games. Okay, so I guess ultimately what I would say is it bugs me when there's fashion in a game, <laughs> but it is not fashionable to anybody. It was clear that in these, these Yakuza character creator uh, hostess modes, they never consulted anybody about fashion even even in 2004 or whatever whenever they did it so yeah that that bugs me when there's earrings and necklaces and dresses and they all and hairstyles and they all look bad and they all look like somebody who was forced to choose something came up with it well we'll get back to that later uh first we have a guest filling in for frank Zafaldi this week hi i'm lucky may again hi uh i guess my character creation pet peeve is when they don't let you have pink hair that's a personal affront yeah it's inexcusable 100 percent. you got a whole rainbow of colors there why not apply them and joining us as our guest this week is the founder of the femicom preservation movement rachel weil is here hello thanks for having me um i guess my character designer pet peeve uh this is a little specific to me but i've got what they call bedroom eyes you know big eyelids i never see that representation in the character designers i have one bedroom eye so I uh, sympathize. That's even harder to get right. <laughs> Brandon, aren't the Yakuza games like set in specific years, though? Like, isn't there like a timeline to Yakuza? There is, but they don't particularly follow it. The fashion in Yakuza 0, which takes place in the 80s, is exactly the same as the fashion in Yakuza 2 Kiwami, which takes place 20 years later. Oh, that's inexcusable. It is inexcusable. I mean, in the hostess mode, at least. Yeah, I'm Team Brandon now. So the way this usually proceeds is this is the point where I tell our guests that there was a secret rule that I didn't tell them about before the show where I uh, spend the entire duration of the episode secretly grading you all to uh, try to determine which of you does the best job so that there is a definitive winner by the end of the episode and your award for being our champion for the week is homework in that you get to choose a topic for next week. Uh, last week's winner was Brandon. But before we get to that, I'd like to ask everybody's thoughts won? on... Yeah, you won last week. Yeah. Did I know that? Yes, I announced it at the end of the episode and everything. Oops. You, you should be listening to these, Brandon, then you'd know. None of a heck. Well, before we get to Brandon's question, because he's going to need a little time to think about it, I'd like to get everybody's thoughts on the current issue of the day, the Steam Deck 
that was just uh, announced. What is it and why is it the way that it is? It's the way that it is because Valve is weird. That's true. That's true. They love doing exactly what you'd expect, which is also kind of the thing that you'd expect that they shouldn't do. Right. My favorite thing, and I felt a little dumb for not having thought of this myself, was when Michael McWhirter uh, said, why didn't they call it the Gabe Boy? Nice. Definitely what they should have called it. So for, for those that don't know what we're talking about, just in case, this is a handheld PC that looks a fair bit like a thick switch, and it doesn't have a dock yet, so you can put it into TV, but eventually they'll have one. Yeah, you can play your, your Steam library on this handheld. And uh, some people have been complaining that it's too heavy. But as someone who uh, has lifted a Game Gear many times, I'm, I've been preparing my whole life for something this heavy. <laughs> I think it'll be okay. It's like um, last gen tech almost, but like it's probably fine for what it is. Like the power consumption is always going to be the biggest thing with this. So that's like why the, the Switch is quite underpowered compared to everything else, because it's got those like tiny little arm cores and hardly any graphics but then this is something that's supposed to play your steam library so you're not going to be particularly playing cyberpunk or anything you know like triple a right now on it because it's got quite a small gpu and remains to be seen how well it actually plays stuff i guess yeah but for weird indie stuff that should be fine yeah you probably uh you put you put um cyberpunk on there and uh the fans start to levitate it like a hovercraft you could just push it around the room how mad do you think the Elgato Stream Deck people are right now? Uh, they're probably a little mad. I did see someone say that they were enjoying their new Steam Deck, and it was a Stream Deck with two Wiimotes taped to the side of it. Nice. I guess that was the inevitable joke, and it did occur. Rachel, have you seen this thing? No, in fact, this is the first I've heard of it. <laughs> I think if you imagine in your head, what would Valve do if they made a handheld games console? Like, you already know everything you need to know about it. Like, none of it's surprising. Really. I wouldn't have imagined the buttons being that high up on it. Oh. Eh. Weird button placement. Valve like doing weird controllers. Yeah. That's for true. I'm looking at this Steam controller over here. It's uh, still new in box. <laughs> I've never, nice. I have never engaged with it. Do people like that thing? Is that something people like? I never used one. Like, I couldn't get over how weird the big touchpads looked. Yeah. That seems right. Maybe that's how I will treat this thing as well. I'll just uh, think about it and never touch it. I mean, maybe now's a good time to ask about, like, the ideal controller layout. Is that something we already achieved? Like, any attempt to reinvent the wheel at this point is just going to be a worse version of what we already got? It was the Saturn controller, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Wavebird. Mm -hmm. That is strong. I really like the GameCube triggers. Even though they're not analog, they, they just have such a nice... <laughs> Are they analog? Am I remembering wrong? I can't remember. But anyway, they're really satisfying. And I love how they fit in your fingers. They're big and chunky. Yeah. And the dial on the WaveBird is incredibly satisfying to just turn around and the little clunk, clunk, clunk. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there is still room for weirdness in controller layouts because the WaveBird certainly isn't the most default controller out there. Yeah, I think there's room. So maybe the right kind of weirdness still exists in the fringes of controller innovation. Yeah, give me some strange ones. There was that one controller. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was maybe only prototyped, but maybe it was created. It might have been a Mad Cats or Pelican PDP one where they were charting where people grip things and they made a controller that looked like where people want to grip stuff. And it was just this curious amorphous blob. Oh, I wish I could remember what that was called. It's amazing. It sounds like it would end up being awful for everybody. Yeah. As is probably going to be revealed shortly, my expertise in video games 
mostly ends around the year 2000, but in terms of vintage controllers, there are some really amazing patterns that we totally left in history that I feel like we could revisit. Like the Astrocade pistol grip controller with a dial on the top. Weird. Cool. Uh, Brandon, do you have one for us yet or are you still stewing? Oh, I'm stewing over here. Well, let's get into our uh, areas of expertise here. Beyond simply making everything pink, not that we have any problems with pink here, how does femininity best express itself in video games? Wow, what a great question. I will say, you know, I think with my interest in collecting girls' games, I'm really interested in asking these questions about like what makes something a girl game, what makes something feminine. Right. And I'm more interested in just raising that question than I am perhaps answering it because I think talking about it and looking at a game one at a time and saying, oh, is this a girl game or not? kind of reveals something about how we culturally think about gender. I think that conversation is is more valuable. I'd say, you know, for the purposes of the collecting that I do for Femicom Museum, I would say that I typically look at it from the perspective of what was specifically marketed to girls. Right. So it's more from the perspective of the publisher trying to sell the thing. So I kind of get in the headspace of what was the publisher thinking versus, you know, whether women worked on it or whether girls played it or whether there were female playable characters, those kind of things I tend not to consider as much versus like, was an attempt made to create a game that specifically appealed to girls? Usually you can tell this through the way they advertise the game or through the use of girls IP, you know, like Barbie and things like that. Other times you just make assumptions because maybe there weren't ads or there wasn't an IP. And I think Assumptions are, again, interesting for what they tell us about ourselves. Like what kind of assumption? Uh, you know, I think a lot of the assumptions are based on the cover of the game. Is the girl the main playable character? Is the game about fashion or beauty or taking care of animals? I would say those are pretty common themes, you know, sort of caregiving type games, uh, which could be like cooking or taking care of horses or taking, you know, babies, all of the like DS games that end in a Z come to mind. So yeah. I think I think those are things like we typically sort of shorthand assume as being like games that are for girls or games that are somewhat feminine. I don't know if we're going to get into this later, but in terms of how games should or could represent femininity, I know it's kind of passe to make movie allegories, but there have been a lot more women directing movies that don't go down the uh, quote, traditional marketing route about, you know, let's do a rom-com or whatever kind of thing. And I think there's a lot of room in games for the kind of stuff that you see coming out of that, which is like body horror type movies that could only come from someone that has to think about pregnancy as a real potential situation or social anxiety kind of pressure oriented stuff that comes from being the target of gays all the time. The, a movie I recommended a few episodes back, which is now on Hulu, by the way, so you can all watch it and no one has an excuse. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which is just this bizarre comedy suburban pastiche adventure movie. And I, I feel like we sort of start to get into that with Twine Games and some other things. But I can't think of a lot of games where it's like a pregnant woman who has to do a survival horror situation, which is actually there's there's a game out there that's in development that's like that that kind of stuff to me i feel like we tend to focus on the superficial femininity and that marketing copy angle of it but once you get into the depth of it i think it's going to be a pretty interesting change in the industry yeah you bring up a really good point um i think that 
you're right that a lot of the sort of assumptions and the things that we talk about when we talk about girl games are are quite superficial. And often these games that are specifically targeted to girls, you know, historically have been, I don't want to say that they're all shovelware. I think that's that's definitely not the case. But in some cases, they feel a little uninformed or unnuanced <laughs> in a way. Yeah, that's definitely fair. There's that one aspect, but I think the other risk that we take is, I also don't want to get into the space where we're like, oh, well, things about fashion aren't serious, you know, but a video game about war is serious or a video game about this or that is serious. And so it's almost like, yes, maybe a woman was involved in the creation of it, or maybe the target audience is women or something like that. But there's, I think, a recurring pattern across media where in order for like women as creators or women as audiences to be taken seriously, they have to like masculinize in some way or shift Mm -hmm. away from, you know, quote unquote, superficial femininity. And I think what we don't often look at is the sort of, I'm going to put this in air quotes, so just imagine superficial masculinity, like the aesthetics of shooty things and sports and war and these other kind of like stereotypical aesthetic elements. Old Space Marine. Yeah. The Bioware franchises come to mind. Uh, Everybody's favorite parts are the like more nurturing dating sim type parts and they have to package it all in this like hyper end of the world adventure yeah uh we might get into this later i don't know if how much time we got left (laughs) we got about three seconds three seconds okay never mind get into it later all right how might one translate the appeal of the maho shoujo or magical girl genre into video games? Oh, wonderful. There have been so many failed attempts. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of my collection actually shares a rich lineage with the magical girl genre. So if you think about its early origins in Japan, I'm thinking of like uh, Sally and some of the, you know, kind of early 60s, 70s. Um, I think that those media franchises were kind of considered as something that would marketed to girls that was seen as sort of a cross media franchise. So it would be a cartoon, but also a comic book and also, you know, maybe backpacks and things like that, the sort of like mixed media landscape involving a character. And so a lot of that translated very well to video games. And we saw a lot of those franchises, you know, once video games became popular, there is a magical girl, a wonderful magical girls game for PlayStation that's got like a whole cast of magical girls across different franchises oh so like super robot tyson but yeah. for magical girls i've always wanted to play that one i can't remember what it's called but it's yeah. uh, witching mischiefs right ah yeah something like that that's pretty cool i'm sure brandon probably has it on his shelf i don't better get that i never got into those super robot tyson games because there's too much waiting for animation to finish <laughs> they take too long but uh, like one of the major tenets of the magical girl genre is this transformation ability and the ability to kind of gain power where you didn't have it before. And I feel like mm. you know part of the reason it appeals so much is because general disenfranchisement of women in society. And so to be able to have this sort of transformation that grants you power quickly and without having to, you know, the, the struggles that you then face are faced with power rather than in a powerless way. I feel like there may be something to like dress up games or, you know, things like what was, uh, what was that Kardashian game that everybody liked? I don't remember. (laughs) Oh, the Um, Kim Kardashian mobile game. Yes. Everybody loved, uh, I could not remember the name of it. 
Oh, I yeah, thought we were going to talk about Star Trek because I, I heard Cardassian. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. It's basically the same thing. Those kinds of games where you can empower yourself somehow or another, those also struck me as being in a similar-ish genre, except without fighting, if that makes sense. Yeah. Kim Kardashian Hollywood was the name, so uh, don't kick yourself for forgetting it. Yeah, there it is. I think the main failure of the Magical Girl video game efforts is that none of them have successfully replicated the experience of running late for school while trying to eat breakfast. Running with toast in your mouth. I, I yeah. don't know. I think they all try to put that in there. But all the Sailor Moon games are just like mediocre beat-em-ups or mediocre side-scrollers. There's the, there's the good... Super Famicom fighting game made by Arc System yeah, Works. I will but... say that uh, Pretty Soldier Sailor Moon was one of the most popular games at the barcade where I worked for two years because it's like one of the perfect fighting games to play while you're a little tipsy. Uh. I would also recommend if you haven't played them for Super Famicom, there are several puzzle games based on the Sailor Moon franchise that are great. Um, mm. I really like them. Uh, They're some of my favorite puzzle games for Super Famicom. And one of my favorite games of all time, like definitely top five across all platforms, is a Sailor Moon game for Super Famicom. Ooh. And that is the Sailor Moon RPG, uh, which recently got a new fan translation. It had had one for a, a while, but I think there were some you know issues with it. Of course, it was a fan translation done maybe 15 years ago. Um, it was recently completely redone. Um, so if you're into like... ROM patching and translations. One of my favorites, an amazing RPG, really unique gameplay, really unique way that they split up the story and exploring different levels with different characters. Highly recommended. That's uh, Bishojo Senchi Sailor Moon, Another Story. Correct. That reminds me that the Magic Knight Ray Earth Saturn game is super excellent. It's expensive, of course, these days, but you can just emulate it or, or whatever. $800 at the moment. I've been trying yes. to find a copy. It's ridiculous, but it's really fun. And it is indeed a female-directed video game. Ryoko Kodama was the director of the game. It is 100% a magical girl game, but it's also, what do they call it, isekai? They come from another world and they go into this one. They have to solve all the problems while gaining magical powers. It's the best kind of story. It's a pretty fun one, and the music is fantastic and <laughs> for whatever reason they made the decision i think i've meant th mentioned this on the show before but every character has a different thing to say about every kitchen in the entire game switch between every three every character on every kitchen and get a new comment just because why not my favorite isekai is futurama here's our next question what can you tell me about the relationship between video games and glitch art Wow. Uh, wonderful. <laughs> so I guess I did come to collecting video games through glitch art, maybe instead of the other way around. Hmm. Well, I guess they kind of they came together. Um, I got really interested in chip music and this idea of, you know, circuit bending or hacking commercial electronics and making them do things that they weren't really intended to do. For me, there were a couple of goals that really excited me. One is that whenever I saw a screen, whether it was a TV or a monitor or some kind of display, I always really wanted it to be this sort of means of delivering ambient entertainment, like music videos or animations or things that didn't necessarily have a plot or a script, things that were just there to be delightful or sort of curious or mesmerizing. And so, you know, I loved screensavers and music videos 
you know, theatrical courtesy trailers with like weird spinning lights in the background, lighted displays at carnivals, infinity mirrors, like all those kinds of things. I wanted that to be my relationship with the TV. And so um, when I learned about kind of hacking and creating ROMs for the NES, it was my chance to take video game medium and kind of strip away the plot and the interactivity. Because for me, the ideal video game is this just like delightful light show that runs in the background and maybe is like a springboard for thinking about how, you know, oh, those pink pixels remind me of something that happened yesterday. I I think chip music is like very in line with this idea of taking commercial electronics and making them do sort of unintended things. And at the same time, of course, you know, when I was getting into all of this, I was collecting NES games and saw, even though I was a kid during the NES era, my personal experience of like the things that I played with wasn't represented in the NES library. And so what better way than to glitch out (laughs) the NES by putting high heels and bows and ponies and all of this stuff on the screen until it broke the screen tore and uh, tiles started popping up where they shouldn't. I thought it was a very nice metaphor. Video games as uh, aesthetic tools. I guess, uh, yeah, that explains the uh, uh, girl game preservation movement as sort of a uh, preservation of a particular aesthetic. I want to talk about Suzanne Treister, Treister, I don't know how you pronounce her last name. Are we all aware of her? She, from 1991 to 92, made a bunch of fictional video game stills using Deluxe Paint 2 and then took photos of those and uh, displayed them as art. And they, they look so much like glitch art. They are fantastic to look at. It was things like using a, a, a doubler or whatever to drag an image across the screen or like intercutting images with other images and she was more interested in video games as a form and art than as entertainment she also wound up making fictional game boxes for games that didn't exist and her work with game art in the early days is like so pioneering you you'd look at it and be like some indie developer created this yesterday it does sound like stuff which you could find nowadays on twitter yeah yeah, I think another um, good thing to check out if if you're interested in that kind of work, which I think is is so inspiring, is to go on YouTube and look up the word Z grass, like the letter Z and the word grass. Um, it was a kind of computer graphics engine that mimics or is somewhat based on the hardware of the Bally Astrocade console. And it was mostly limited to folks in art departments at universities in the late 80s. People made these really amazing trailers and demo reels and animations. And it's sort of this lost form, this lost platform. But a lot of a lot of folks, a lot of women as well, um, who made things that, again, they look kind of like contemporary video game glitch art or, or homebrew. Yeah, that's good stuff. Lottie, check the chat for <laughs> Suzanne Trister. T- check it out. It's uh... Yeah, looking at that now. It's really cool. Oh, yeah. Pretty hot that's stuff. Nice. Feels really like, I wonder what I would have thought of this in 1991. Definitely interesting. Okay. After you eliminate Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, and Sega, who are history's top five console manufacturers? Well, NEC. That's, yeah, that's number one, obviously. That's number one. Turbo Graphics. NEC is number one. So let's let's... Let's just get that one out of the way. <laughs> okay, well, I'll give you that one. PC Engine, Super Graphics, PCFX. Uh, there's a lot, a lot going on with those. Ones. So who else do we have? 
I guess we have the 3DO company, which did the 3DO. Mm -hmm. We have Casio, who has done tons of stuff on top of the Loopy. We have Bondi with uh, Wonderswan and tons of other things like the... Pladia. Yeah. And whatever else. The Pippin. Yeah. Who else do we have? We have Epoch with the cassette vision. Coleco, Mattel. Yeah. Atari. Do we not include Atari? Yeah. Bally. Atari as well. <laughs> Tiger handhelds as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. We got to start ranking some of these. Yeah. Let's get to ranking. Okay. Does everyone agree that NEC is number one? We don't have to. It could be Bondi. Why possibly. is NEC number one? Because the PC Engine rules. <laughs> what makes the PC Engine so great, though? So the PC Engine was great because it was really easy to work on for developers and the development environment was essentially a PC-98 or PC-88 computer, which was also made by NEC. And so people were very able to like slot their skills over. And so quite often you would have a game that looked better on the PC Engine than the Mega Drive or Super Nintendo because someone had like figured out some particular technique on their PC that transferred over. And it had a fast processor basically, for the time. Accessibility is a good argument. And it was so expandable. They expanded the RAM, they expanded to CD, and then the PCFX is a failure, but it's an interesting failure with, with its anime focus. I mean, counterpoint, the Cassiolupi had a built-in full-color sticker printer. It's a good yeah. point. Mm -hmm. And a Casio sound engine inside. I think that at least makes it number two. Yeah. <laughs> Casio is up there because they, they also have another a bunch of other small, curious consoles. They even have an MSX. I don't know if, uh, to what degree mm -hmm. we want to count MSX consoles because a lot of companies had those. We also had the, what, PV-1000? That's right. That was the predecessor to the Loopies in in a way. And it's not really, they weren't related though. So maybe it's unfair to call it a pre predecessor. But yeah, it had like Atari era stuff. They were in it for a long time. Uh, but I feel like Bondi is a very strong candidate with the Wonder Swan. The Wonder Swan had like a giant library as well. Like as much as I love the Loopy, that's like 10 games. Like with the, the Wonder Swan and the PCFX the and stuff like that, there's way more, you know, like library out there they had the best version of final fantasy one uh did bandai make the sufami turbo as well i don't know if that gets to count i've not heard of that one because it's that's nintendo anyway uh one way or another yeah it's not really a console it's an accessory yeah uh they did make it but yeah i, I think i think we have to call that an expansion the wonder swan alone is a strong argument to place it in the top five mm -hmm. it's true For sure. i agree sure. I was vacillating on the Sufami Turbo because it does have original games, but they're still running on Super Famicom hardware, so probably doesn't get to count. But the Wonder Swan, yeah, that alone is enough to bring it to number two. And then when you get the Pippin that mark and the and the Pladia in there, oh yeah, thank. Okay, we got. I think it's just two. over a minute left and two more companies to place. Oh crap! Yeah, and were we saying Casio is three? Do we just decide that? Yeah, I think Casio is three. Kind of fair, yeah. The Loopy's cool, but it's not the Wonder Swan. Oh, no. And then we have to say, I mean, Atari's got to be in there somewhere. Does it, though? Yeah. Does, Does it really? It? Do you get points for being first? The Jaguar. Well, the uh, the <laughs> Jaguar. <laughs> and the Lynx. Yeah, uh -huh. okay. They held out for a long time. And, and they had the 7800 7, and the 5200. Jaguar can be number four under, under Casio. <laughs> yeah, Jaguar brings it to four, below the Casio. Yeah. Is it, was the name um, Game Park, the company that made the GP... 32, GP32, yeah. Yeah, that was like, Game Park. I, I, I know that's a show favorite. True. Now, does it beat the that's 3DO? on the list? Yes. 
Hmm. Okay. It might. They did come up with a couple others after that. And it is. I've not played on either of them, but like I can like read about or see videos of um, GP32 games and go, oh, I could, I could have a good time with that. And I've never felt that about a 3DO title. That's fair. I would say 3DO games are better but less interesting, and GP32 games are more interesting but worse. Are we ranking it above or below Atari? Gotta be below Atari because they didn't last very long. Okay, so uh, right at the buzzer, we have our five. Uh, the Game Park, the Atari, the Casio, the Bondi, and the NEC companies are the ones joining uh, the big four at the table for our discussion of the greatest consoles of all time, which we may have at some point in the future. Oh, I want to do it. I think that's a good ranking episode, ranking the best consoles of all time. We got to do it at some point. It's going to be fun. Uh, but right now... We are going to take a break while Brandon uh, quickly does the homework that he was supposed to get started doing last week. Oops. It's less stressful than last time. When you came on last time, it was the first episode we did without Tim. So we were still kind of finding our rhythm. And also, I'm Frank this week. So, like, yeah. I don't, there's no pressure on me. His MO is to just wait around. And then say something <laughs> at an opportune moment. He's really good at it, though. I feel like I should go grab some cartridges and start, you know, running them through a dumper whilst I'm <laughs> listening to everyone else. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Sometimes I do get the feeling that Frank is uh, sorting mag magazines alphabetically while the show is happening. <laughs> I don't begrudge him for it. That's part of his charm. Welcome back to the Insert Credit Program. Brandon, you got a question for us? I do. Great. I'm going to keep with the theme, which is I'm curious to hear everyone's opinions on the best female protagonist action games. This is something near and dear to my heart as one of my early favorite action games was Valis for the TurboGrafx. I love the Valis games. Essentially, it's the girl running on rooftops with a sword genre is what I would call it. A good genre. Uh, ever since then, I've been trying to find other games like that. But of course, we can extend into the the current era and talk like Doom Raider and whatever. So you got your Metroid. You got your Bayonetta. Yeah, you got all those. You got your Thelostophus. Thelostophus. Anybody got any feelings about it? If not, I'll just talk forever. I do not know that one. Oh, The Last of Us. Oh, it's The Last of Us. That's just how oh. we say it on the show. Oh, you're being smart. Oh, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> well, okay. smart with like... 40 quotation marks on either end. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question. What what makes someone a protagonist? I think you play as them. Primarily. I would okay, say. so like an arcade game would have a protagonist that could be like a ship or something, for example, you know, or the person in the ship. That's Is right. That fair? Yeah. Like arcade games can extend the protagonist metaphor. Sure. Yes. Your playable thing. Yeah, the okay. thing you play as. <laughs> Is it a woman thing? Okay, so no puzzle games that might... Ha I mean, they're... Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm going to stop we're getting action. on edge cases. We're talking action. <laughs> Barbie is not the protagonist of Barbie Fashion Designer because... It's true, but it's also not an action game, so it's already out. Mm -hmm. Okay, so action games only. Yeah. Yeah, so Barbie Fashion Designer would not count, but Barbie's Mermaid Adventure would count. Would count. Yes, correct. And uh, that... What's that? Pony... Pony... Crystal Beans... Pony... Something. Crystal's... Crystal's ponytail. Yeah, Crystal's ponytail. <laughs> is that, is that, that what you're thinking of? That's what yeah, Cr Crystal Beans is a terrible name for Dungeon Explorer on Super Famicom for some reason. They called it Crystal Beans. Anyway. Um, I, I do really like, for what it's worth, the uh, there's a Miracle Girls platformer for 
Super Famicom, that's quite good. Lost Word of Jenny for Famicom is another good one uh, in terms of like action games that have female playable characters. What's good about them? Sell them to me, please. So the Miracle Girls is a very cute, I guess they're both cute games. Miracle Girls is a platformer that's based on an anime from the early to mid 90s. I believe the plot is that they're twin sisters and they both have ESP or some kind of magical powers. And you play through the platformer as both girls and you can switch between them and they have different abilities, you know, kind of like Super Mario Brothers 2, where different playable characters have different abilities. It's just a very cute and colorful platformer. Lost Word of Jenny is a Famicom game that is based on the Jenny fashion doll franchise in Japan. So think Barbie, but in Japan. And she's part of kind of a wacky overworld adventure with, uh, I think there's like spies and there's like a level where you're running past cakes and all sorts of kind of unusual, unusual situations and unusual levels. Um, it's very cute. And of course, like it's based on a fashion doll. So it's kind of fun to see her in these different environments. Yeah, it's a Famicom game. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. I'm a big fan of the Devil Hunter Yoko Mega Drive game. It's way too difficult, but that's a solid one. Um, she's got like a charge up invincible attack thing where, where she creates a shield around herself, but in order to attack certain enemies, you have to throw it at them. So you're, you're vulnerable during that time. Makeruna Makendo, AKA Kendo Rage. That one's a very Valis like run on rooftops lady with a Kendo sword game. That's good. Super Nintendo one, which I wouldn't usually talk about Super Nintendo, but sometimes you have to. I've got a game that kind of works like um it's got two protagonists one's male one female so it kind of counts but that's uh blazing rangers which is one of those like new nes famicom games that's really fun buildings are on fire you're your firefighters and you have to right. drag your hose around to spray the fire down and like there's only so much hose so you have to backtrack to reorganize the hose to get to different areas to rescue the people in the buildings it's really it's really interesting backtracking mechanic yeah i've heard that's a good one and it's really cute. Uh, Smarty is another one that comes to mind. The main playable character is Miss Smarty Pants. It was a PC game released in the mid 90s, uh, one of Teresa Duncan's games. And I think maybe her most well known game is Chop Suey, but uh, Smarty is the one that I've played the most. They've been described as sort of a like, you know, early 90s MTV generation zine collage aesthetic. They're really unique among PC games that were like intended for girls and very kind of trendy and strange humor. Uh, I really like that one. With that, it's time for us to uh, head head first into the dirt bag. Once per week, I take one question submitted to us from the generous listeners subscribe to patreon.com slash insert credit, where for just dollars a month, you can get access to a uh, form which allows you to submit your own questions, access to our regular episodes one day early. One day early. One day early, Brandon. And also occasional bonus episodes and other neat treats and content. This week's question comes from Spencer, who asks, What video game allows for the most player self-expression that is not specifically a creative game? Oh, that's a good question. Minecraft is kind of explicitly a creative game but it's also it's got craft in the title it's 50 percent in it. survival mode it kind of isn't like like you have all of the building mechanics but like you know that there's other directed goals and stuff like that but i feel like there's probably much better answers than this 
My vote would be Skate 3, for what it's hmm. worth. Ooh. I spent a lot of time in Skate 3 doing things that were not part of the game, including a lot of character customization and dress-up type stuff. In my opinion, Skate 3 is a fashion game disguised as a skateboarding game because the objective of the game is to promote your skating brand through like advertisements and clothing. And so you take pictures of yourself in like skating these different levels. It is a little bit of a, a fashion game. Uh, so I spent a lot of time posing for photos and making my character, you know, look a certain way. They also had the cinematic tools add-on so you could make movies and kind of direct, you know, have cameras on rails and things like that. And then that added with the ability to glitch just about everything you could possibly collide with made it a game I spent many, many, many hours in, not necessarily doing the normal levels, although I did those too. Yeah, I lived in a dorm for about half a year uh, with five other people, and the most popular game in the common room was just the character creator of the latest WWE game. That was all anybody did. Yeah, I guess along those lines, the Tekken games, certainly. I mean, I guess anything with a character creator, but the Tekken games especially, people seem to really go wild on that one. Time to Mario is very short when it comes yeah. to a new Tekken game and a character creator. Mario comes right out. Also, though, any of those kinds of Skyrim, Oblivion-ish kind of games where you can pick people's pockets and then stab them or collect everybody's ears or whatever kind of stupid nonsense, or you can just be gardening for a long time, those games offer a lot of player expression in that play the game or ignore it or play around the game kind of way. I'm actually more interested in those games for those reasons than for the, the main game or narrative, I think. That reminds me of, say, GTA Online, where the biggest thing on the scene is like in-character roleplay that people do, which just totally yeah, wasn't yeah. in the mission statement of the game itself. And that there are people in roleplay servers that like run fashion brands and music record yeah. companies and stuff like that. It rules. That, that might be a really strong answer for this, because there's just so much creative stuff happening in those roleplay servers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if that's almost cheating. Why? Because it's too good an answer, Brandon? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's why it's <laughs> cheating. Like, do MUDs count? Where where everything is, it's not explicitly about creating, but everything has to come from your mind. I mean, I would say that they count just as an MMO would count. Like, when we were talking about the skate character creator, I was just thinking of my time trying to play Final Fantasy fourteen, and I could not get into the gameplay, but I could get into the you know, dressing my character up. And that was the only thing I cared about was trying to get the damn maid dress in that game. And as soon as I got it and I got all the pictures and spent ages going to all the pretty places and then I, then I was done with it. I didn't need to finish the storyline or be the warrior of light. I had a maid dress and that's all I needed. I've heard about people doing stuff like, you know, standing at a at a gate and, and taking tickets or whatever. Just like that's what their job is. They show up every day and they take tickets for going through this gate. I like that kind of nonsense and commitment to a bit. I want to see more of that in the world. Yeah. You love to see people wasting their lives. <laughs> but maybe to them it's not. I mean, yeah. it probably is, but it, it might not be. Yeah. You love it when people fritter away the precious few hours they have upon this mortal realm. I mean, what else are you going to do with them? Let's be honest. Yeah, that makes sense. Fair enough. I'm hunting for uh, pyrites for the sixth playthrough I'm doing of Nier. I have no right to talk here. <laughs> yeah, I grew, I grew those. Uh, I grew those lunar tears. Have you finally gotten a lunar tear, Jeffy? I got a lunar tear. Thank you very much. How long did it take? Uh, 
I don't want to talk about it. Let's move on to the next question. Okay. What are the greatest movie tie-in games made before 1995? Oh, good question. I think Demolition Man was made in 1995. That's a really good game. So that doesn't count. Are we counting anime? If the anime is a movie, yes. If it's a series, no. Okay. Shoot. Demolition Man came out in Australia in 1994, so I might count it. Okay. Well, Demolition Man is pretty good. Well, the Sega CD one. It is a side-scrolling action shooting thing that is uh, Genesis 1 doesn't have the cutscenes. The, the Sega CD one just like puts cutscenes from the movie that contextualize it. Basically useless, but it's a pretty good game. A lot of actions you can do in it. Very much like a um, an extension of a Rolling Thunder type of a game. So that's a pretty hot one. The Batman Returns video game, that's pretty bad. <laughs> the only one I have played, like which is a pre-1995 game, I think would possibly be the Home Alone one on SNES. Yeah, but that's not good. It's not good. That's that's the problem I have. That's the, <laughs> that's the only one I've got. I, I bought it for my wife as a joke Christmas present. She's Polish, and apparently like it's a Polish tradition to always watch like Home Alone on Christmas Eve. It's on wow. TV like every single year. So mm. I have now watched Home Alone 1 and 2. 10 times over the last 10 years i you know something like that so so when i saw that in the shop i was like she has to play this and she's gonna suffer was it with the polish dub or no no we you watched it the, the english you know how they do the dubs in poland right have you has have you heard this from yeah this is the one guy yeah it's just one guy droning directly on top of the soundtrack so you hear the english and the polish and he's doing wow. all parts himself mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing if you watch um clips of it i was just gonna say someone brought up Batman, the NES yeah. game was pretty good. Oh, sure. I mean, it was pretty impressive for its time. Yeah. Was it one of the, was it a movie tie-in one? Was it Batman or Batman Yeah, I think Returns? it's one based on the Michael Keaton Batman. Okay. The market was flooded with these things at a certain time, and they were by and large complete cash-ins. I like Alien 3 on the Genesis. I've mentioned it before. Very, uh... Recently. Very recently. It's a, it's a very learnable game. Oh, shoot. You know what? Aladdin for Genesis. Oh. oh. Yeah, that's a good one. I guess that the Lion King game as well, because those those two tend to go hand in hand. Did the Lion King game came out before 95? It did. It was 94. Ah, it's like December 94, so it just makes it. Nice. <laughs> Though that one has a lot of... It's got amazing animation, but it's kind of tough to play that one. Yeah. I, I like the, the Beauty and the Beast Super Famicom game. I mean, the Super Nintendo one. Is much better than the Genesis one. I'm I'm ashamed to say, but Hudson did the the Super Nintendo one, and uh, it's actually a pretty decent game. It's not amazing, but if if we're looking, if we're searching for decent movie games before 1995, that one can get in there. We finally answered the question of whether your loyalty for Hudson is stronger than your dislike for Nintendo. I think it is slightly slightly stronger. Yes, that yeah. is. Uh, Hagane <laughs> is one of the best Super Nintendo games. That's a Hudson game. So. That's important Brandon data for those of you keeping score at home. <laughs> yeah. Hudson outweighs Nintendo. The absolute value of the negatives of Nintendo. Yeah. I would love to revisit this one with preparation so that we could actually rank all licensed movie games that we can possibly think yeah, of. That would be a I good one. That would be. I would love to prepare for this. Brent Porter on the on the Necrosoft Games team, he has played that Sega CD cliffhanger game a lot. That game, if you don't know, has a snowboarding sequence. It's not really snowboarding. You're actually just sliding down a mountain on a plank of wood. But it is impossible. It is like, I've watched a tool-assisted speedrun of it, and even they are just barely outpacing 
like this avalanche that's coming behind you because it's so you can't there's no way to not get hit by things as you're sliding down sliding down this mountain and it's it's just it's a very strong candidate for the worst what about konami's the goonies yeah that's a good one that friday the 13th game on the nes is pretty interesting i don't love it it's interesting that's the right word for it (laughs) that is true that's undeniable Oh, the Little Mermaid for NES is actually yeah. good. Capcom, yeah, it's not bad. you know, it's Mega Man underwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fester's Quest, based on the Adams Family, <laughs> has really good music. Can we count the Adams Family pinball table? How old is that? <laughs> All right, I think we've reached the end of our rope on this one. Here is our next question. If you were creating a lookbook for designers of female game characters, what would you turn to as template? How is this question working here? Break it down for me. Uh, basically, you're showing a bunch of designers who are creating female game characters. Here's what you should draw on for inspiration. Yeah, I mean, re- recently I had to come up with a, a character sheet, well, a bunch of character sheets for a variety of characters for a video game. And I pretty much just looked at avant-garde fashion runways for the last five years and found a whole bunch of interesting stuff there and various collections would be like this summer collection is a good inspiration for this character or whatever yeah that's what i'm talking about yep i wish i had exact names that come to mind there's that one lady who does all these like she's often doing high heels out of weird objects like it looks like it's dripped wax or it's made out of a skull or it's 3d printed mesh cyber looking thing Ah, but i can't remember what her name is She's extremely famous, if that helps. <laughs> Madonna. It's Madonna. That's who I was thinking of. <laughs> Paula Abdul. Jackpot. Yeah, why not? I would reference, and I, I do reference actually when I'm working on games, uh, some comic books that I've collected, uh, especially some comic books from the 80s and 90s. Uh, things that come to mind are, there was a, a comic book called Barbie Fashion that was published by Marvel. Oh, yeah. Amazing comic book. I have... Almost a complete collection of the two lines that that Marvel did of the Barbie comic books, as well as like I'm thinking of uh, Amethyst. Amethyst, Amethyst, Princess of Gem World, my jam. Oh, what a book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Gem and the Holograms. Yeah, I think all of those were very like very informed by fashion. Uh, Obviously, it it looks kind of dated now. Fortunately for me, it's a decade that I happen to like. So (laughs) I think I would show people. Um, I wanted to talk about this somewhere else, but Style Savvy, that series yeah. is, it's very interesting because it's definitely a hardcore sim management game, but it has fashion and hairstyling and clothing bent to it. But the issue with that game, similar to the Yakuza series, is that the fashion that they use is so dated in that the specific year that it came out. So it winds up looking pretty old and so they'll make like a new version of the game but they won't update the clothes it's like a critical flaw in an otherwise good game like that would be what not to do you gotta update dang clothes and it there are 3d models and and stuff but mostly you're just looking at 2d images they could have really they could have done something there it's an example of how to display fashion well but just make sure you update it so I, i would include that in there somehow yeah uh, like 10 years ago, uh, I'm just thinking about Amethyst now. Uh, DC put out this series of like animated shorts about Amethyst with this kind of like sword art online bent where she went to this like video game world. I think uh, is is that something you've uh, seen, Rachel? Yeah, I. it seemed like it was happening and then it sort of fizzled out or I, I don't know, I, I didn't 
ever kind of reach what the conclusion of that was. I thought maybe oh. it was going to turn into a series or something. Yeah, it was kind of this sort of like backdoor pilot program where they showed a lot of animated shorts and a couple of them turned into series like Teen Titans Go and uh, what is now called DC Superhero Girls. But the weirder ones all kind of fizzled out. But you can still find it all online. It's pretty cool. I think you can't really show many other video games because most video games do fashion really poorly. Yeah. So you, you kind of have to look to real fashion like Dolce and Gabbana and Gucci and stuff. Like if you look at their actual fashion shows, that stuff is really, really good and a great source of inspiration for anyone who's trying to look at something new and different and just get an actual idea instead of just looking at Nomura trying to get out his his surplus of hot topic ideas for the 50th time. Yeah, of course, the one exception to that being Final Fantasy X-2. Always go look to that for inspiration. It's the same as like with anything else. Video games is like video games is the reference for it. But like anything other than maybe gameplay is pretty much always a bad idea. Yeah. There's always so much more interesting things everywhere else. It's uh, time for our last question before the lightning round. I think this is the only opportunity I'll have to ask this. So I'm taking out advantage of it. Who or what? is the Lisa Frank a video game? Goodness. Lisa Frank, we'll have to define her first. Obviously, you got you got your colors, you got your animals, mm -hmm. you got your smooth lines that are somewhere in between like vector art and airbrushing somehow. But then you also have this amazing business empire. Am I missing any major factors, would, would anyone say? I think feminine excess is the words that come to mind. Aggressively feminine. I never saw it that way. I guess that's possible. I just never considered it to be particularly feminine, but I really, just, and maybe I never thought about it. Yeah, just because, like, I don't know. I like dolphins, <laughs> and I, I like big sunsets and stuff. And I felt like that was that was what it was all about. And I, but you know, I was I was also super into Sailor Moon as a youth. So maybe maybe I'm a, a curious dude. I don't know. How how does everybody else feel about it? Natalie Lawhead's work meets some of the requirements, I think, in its, I think, excess, you know, visual excess and packed in visuals and high color and your eye sort of wanders from thing to thing to try to take all of it in. Reminds me of, of Natalie's work. But in some ways, I don't think uh, Natalie's games are like hyper pastel or feminine. We worked together on a game called Monkey Fortune Tell that I would say was somewhat Lisa Frank-esque, possibly a little bit of my influence there, but lots of bright colors, things that spin around and rotoscoped dancing monkey and kind of weird things like that. <laughs> so it has kind of the, the structured visual overload, if not the focus on color. Yeah, I love the way that they have, like if you've ever gone to their itch page, uh, there are always like things floating around on the page or if the, you yeah, know, yeah, uh, yeah. comment boxes that are sort of floating away and the sort of, it takes a while to just visually like understand what's going on and be able to read it. And I actually love that about it. It's just sort of like playing with the medium. And I know they really love to play with like error messages and the sort of like the aesthetics of pop-ups and things like that, which also like gives me some kind of Lisa Frank vibes. Again, that sort of like collage or visual excess. I almost feel like the, the current trend of ai generated images has a lisa frank quality to it yes she's got so much collage and 
you know, blending and stuff going on. And I don't know if that informs any kind of discussion of who the Lisa Frank of, of games would be, but you know, if, if for me to take it in that direction, I might talk about someone like Andy McClure, who is, um, she hasn't exactly mm -hmm. built a huge, um, empire, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, she does a lot with the glitchier and techier side of things. But yeah, it, I don't know. Do we, do we not have a Lisa Frank of video games? We might not. We should. We need to get one. <laughs> yeah. If, if you want to talk the more glitchy side, like we have data arrays as well. Like all of her art's very aesthetically busy, but like that's a lot more in the incredibly glitched up and mangled kind of way rather than the. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like video games aspire to a sort of Lisa Frank aesthetic in a lot of ways, but it's difficult in motion to be able to parse. I mean, some, something like El Shaddai on the Xbox 360 is more visually like a Lisa Frank image than a lot of other games would be, but you don't have the busyness back there. I know we go to this well a lot, but what about uh, Keita Takahashi? His colors are definitely more muted. He does have a lot going on, but it doesn't have that kind of... Uh, there's a silhouette to what's going on a lot right. in like Katamari, for example. Like it's almost um, there. there's there's a lot of stuff, but it's all kind of it's, the structure is different. It's not spread everywhere. It's like concentrated almost. Yeah, this is a shotgun blast of information. I wonder about Paloma Dawkins too, the with the kind of psychedelic visuals. I see some relationship there. In conclusion, it sounds like we've got a few figures approaching the Lisa Frank of video games, but it's a mantle yet to be claimed. Yeah, we got to work on it. We got to work on that. But right now, what we got to work on is our lightning round. Uh, this is where the real points are gained and uh, winners are made and broken. And uh, this week's uh, theme is pink game. Uh, what I'm going to do is I am going to post a shade of pink into the chat, give you the name of it, and you have to tell me the game that it invokes the feeling of. Are you ready for that? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. We get the name of the, of the color. You of, get the, of the name shade. of the color okay, as good. I post it. Yes. We're beginning with deep pink. Deep pink. Hmm. Okay. That color kind of reminds me of like incredibly um, artificial flavored donuts. So it might be like Donut County. Okay. okay. I see where you're going. Sure. Yeah, I could see that. That color has a flavor. You had me get going toward like um, adve an Adventure Time game or a Simpsons hit and run sort of a thing. But I think Donut County is probably a good but there's there's sort of like a toxicity to this color i feel same with donut county this looks exactly like the color of the box art of barbie for dos oh yeah all right that's pretty good all <laughs> right um okay champagne pink is that even pink it's champagne pink very 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 lightly saturated one yeah um, so this is something which is trying to do color but not really it's like like when you're painting a wall and you want it to be a color but you know you have to paint it white because that's the rules there's something yeah. kind of blandish it's almost reminding me of one of those games where like uh there's no color and you have to bring color back to the world like um flower or let's say it's flower i i'm sorry i'm gonna have another obscure answer here but this reminds no, this me of the <laughs> the handheld horoscope series from bandai called herpet which came in very pale pink shades shaped like a heart little handheld game and it was a horoscope and love compatibility meets game and watch uh, i'm looking at it here and yeah that's that's about right let's do that one <laughs> yeah all right you're nailing this so far 
Uh, our next one is Tango Pink. Tango Pink immediately made me think of a Princess Debut for the Nintendo DS because you have to dance with potential suitors in order to decide who is best suitable for you. And uh, I don't know if you can do the tango in that game. I think it's mostly waltzes, but you know, that one seems right to me. Oh, why not? All right, Brandon, get this one then. <laughs> silver Pink. Silver Pink. That's, uh, that's one of those Sonic the Hedgehog games that has silver in it. Yeah. Sonic 06. Silver and Amy. Does Sonic 06 have silver and Amy in it? It, it does, I think. And it also has silver saying, sometimes I just think that it's no use or something like that, which is a line which is stuck in my head forever. So yeah, so right. it might be Sonic 06. Sonic 06. <laughs> Paradise pink. Ooh, I like this one. If I were to paint my car a pink, it would probably be this one. Oh, so Burnout Paradise. Burnout Paradise. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I might give myself that point. Okay. Unless anybody else can beat it. I think so. Okay. I'm going to paint my car this color. Yeah. Shocking pink. Heck, now talk about a toxic pink. This is Halo. Like, this is like pure covenant energy weapon kind of. Mm. Oh. I'm thinking of like too garish over the top. EGA palette. Yeah, that too. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good direction as well. Okay, what do you got? Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's the trouble, isn't it? <laughs> this is like me playing Jumpman on my IBM clone as a kid. <laughs> I like that answer. Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. I, I, I might take that one. Was there an EGA Jazz Jackrabbit? I don't think so. But Jazz Jackrabbit is a good answer for this. Mm. Yeah, I might have to give that point to Brandon. Okay. Steel Pink. What pink? Steel Pink. Steel Pink. Uh, Steel Princess on the 3DS. <laughs> Uh, Casio is the, the my seal computer. Oh yeah, but this is sti- wait, it's steel, right? Not seal. Steel, S T E E L. Oh, I heard yeah. seal, which doesn't yeah. make sense. But neither does steel. No, it doesn't. <laughs> neither of them make that. Neither does pink. This is getting dangerously into like purple violety tones. It's still within the realms of pink. You know what? This is like Hannah Montana pink. IMO. Oh yeah. Is there a like Hannah Montana? There, there's there was a whole be a Hannah, Hannah Montana, Montana PSP. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a there's a Game Boy Color game. There's a lot of Hannah Montana out there. Bubblegum Pink. This doesn't look like Bubblegum Pink to me. I gotta say. Uh, you've seen a lot of vibrant pinks in the last few minutes, so that might <laughs> yeah. be what's going on. Here. This looks exactly the shade that the Hello Kitty Game Boy Color is. Oh. Absolutely. Especially yep. when they start to sun fade. Yeah, that's it. The Hello Sun-faded Kitty. Sun-faded Hello Kitty is, is yeah, this one. I'm taking that one. Yep. Okay. Uh, your penultimate pink is pink lavender. Oh, lavender. Lavender. Lavendink. Well, I keep uh, I keep trying to pitch the Loopy as a as a lavender console. Nobody wants to go for it. This is exactly a lighter shade of the Cassio Loopy. Also matches some of the Loopy's uh, modems and girls' word processor units. The light. Yeah, they light love purple. lavender over there. They were into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not a game. So uh, what? Wasn't there like a loop, loopy looking organizer with a game in it thing that they did? Oh, there were many of them. Um, but I'm, there's like a Fletz. There's the Super Picky Talk, which is a hamster. Didn't someone mention hamster games earlier? Glad he did, yeah. I love hamster games. That's That's got to be it. And our last pink is just plain old regular pink. Standard issue factory pink. Huh, that's what regular that's pink That's what pink is. looks like. Mm-hmm. Super Princess Peach? I was literally about to say that. We haven't had a Princess Peach <laughs> game yet. Um, but that's her, her. I mean, guys, you're wrong. It's Kirby's Dreamland. 
<laughs> it is yeah. it is a pretty Kirby pink. It might be Kerbert. Yeah, it, it's uh it's Kirby or enthusiasm, all right. Uh, Rachel, you are our winner this episode. Congratulations. Wow. Yeah. What did I win? Uh, you <laughs> won the uh, obligation of coming up with a question for next week's episode. And I'll uh, contact you about that sometime over the next week. I'm honored. This is the point of the show where if you have anything to plug to uh, direct our audience towards things you've worked very hard on, you can do that. Or you can just give general recommendations to people for ways to occupy their time between the release of this episode and the next. Yes, usually I have recommendations and today I have nothing. I have nothing to recommend. So I recommend that you enjoy your time in your life. Try to get out there in the world and see what you can see. I hope you're all vaccinated. The end. I've got some recommendations. I've been re-watching Turn A Gundam recently and it's Ooh. really, really good still. There's some really nice Blu-ray releases that just came out. Um, it's got moon dolphins in it, and if that doesn't make you want to watch it, like I don't know what will. Um, also, the new Godzilla anime on Netflix is like pretty good. I, I enjoyed that a lot. So, like, if Shin Godzilla was like, what if Godzilla was like directed by the Evangelion guy? Singular point is, what if Godzilla was Evangelion fan fiction? It's very, very similar to that like tone. Pretty cool. I've been watching Eighth MS Team myself. Ooh, nice. That's a good one. As for me, if uh, you're interested in the history of girls' video games and the stuff we've been talking about today, definitely invite you to check out Femicom.org. So it's like Famicom, but with an E instead of an A. Very clever. And I'm also on Twitter, Famicom Museum, and probably some other places uh, around the world. Love to talk about these games, so feel free to reach out. And I'll also recommend, if you're looking for a girly game that maybe you haven't played, a little like hidden gem, I'm going to recommend Pop Cutie for Nintendo DS. It's a fashion sim. So if you like style savvy, but want something maybe a little faster paced, a little more wacky, and uh, still not a, not a rare game, not hard to come by, um, definitely recommend checking out Pop Cutie. I'm going to have to find Pop Cutie. That looks pretty good and yeah, I was completely I just, unaware I just of it. Googled it as well. Uh, you can also find there's a, a Pop Cutie. I made a, a bot on Twitter that tweets random dialogue from Pop Cutie. Um, it has kind know. of a wacky dialogue system, and uh, it's based on kind of like Japanese, sort of like Harajuku style street fashion, um, but like much, much faster paced than style savvy. And it's kind of got like an isometric uh, pixel art style that I think is really unique and fun. I've got some recommendations. I would like to recommend that if you're listening to this show on any platform where you can subscribe to or review podcasts, that you engage with us in that way to keep the algorithms pushing us upwards and forwards. You can also go to patreon.com slash insert credit where you could become a patron to submit your own topics. Get our regular episodes one day early. One day early? One day early! And even access monthly bonus episodes and other exclusive content. You can also join us on the forums.insertcredit.com and follow us on Twitter for our own personal updates and projects. The show is at Insert Credit. I'm at Alex Jaffe. Brandon is at Necrosofty. Lottie is at Lottie Makes Stuff. And Rachel is at Party Time HXLNT, which I think stands for Excellent. Am I right? That you are right. All right. The show is edited by Esper Quinn with music by Kurt Feldman. Once more, I'm Alex Jaffe. I'm Brandon Sheffield. I'm Lottie May. Rachel, you're next. Oh, me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm Rachel Weil. And your game has now been saved.
should we export it as? Wave. Wave is best, but MP3 works. Wow. Okay, cool. I can do that. It's like a wave. It's like a wave. 